This life is a holy fire Nothing I know and it's burning inside
morning offshores we're so glad that you're here with us this morning if you're able to i want to invite you to stand and join us as we worship together and just bring our praises to the king of kings this morning amen Please. 
not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And a veil was What sacrifice was made As the heavens Oh
recognize for many of us, this may be a new and unfamiliar song this morning, but I'm just reminded and encouraged because I know how many of you agree it's really easy to praise the Lord in the mountaintop, but it's really difficult to praise him in the valley. Anybody else agree with that statement? And the truth and the reality is, is while we long for moments of mountaintop, I just learned that life is is far from that, that we experience a lot of difficulty and a lot of struggle in this life. But I'm also encouraged because I'm reminded that scripture tells us that through difficulties and trials that our strength, our faith grows in strength. And uh, I was just reminded this morning reading through Hebrews, you know, the writer of Hebrews writes that we are to bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, a sacrifice of praise. And what that means to me personally is that even in times when I don't feel like it, I'm supposed to bring praise to the Lord because he's worthy of it. That God does not change because of my circumstance. God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And so no matter where you are this morning, know that God the Father welcomes you into his presence with open arms. That even if you're in a tough place, that God invites you to come here to sit underneath his love and just to be reminded that you are his. But my challenge for you today would be, what sacrifice can you bring to him today? How can you praise the Lord? And it may be as simple as just reflecting on the words that we've just sung reflecting on them or maybe even singing them in a place of desperation because God wants us to be honest with him. And we're going to sing this song again. Savannah's going to lead us in the bridge. And I just want you to reflect on what we're singing and even be challenged by Holy Spirit for how you can engage with him today. Does that sound good? Let's just continue our worship this morning and invite God to meet us as we praise him this morning.
He is worthy. He's worthy of all of our praise. You know, we've been in this uh, 21 days of prayer as a church to, to kick off the year. And as I've gone through the devotions daily, it's just been a reminder for me. God's been speaking to me over and over again just about trust, that I can trust him with every aspect of my life. I can trust him with the big things that are going on, but I can trust him with the small things too. And that's true of all of us. And for me, that just means bringing everything to him in prayer. And we're going to do that this morning. So if there's a place that you are hurting, where you need to trust God for provision, for healing, for whatever it might be, I just invite you to have a seat, just a way of offering that to God. Some people will come around you and simply put your hand, their hand on your shoulder. Just know you're not alone, that God is with you, but so are his people. So if that's you, if there's a place you need to trust him today, just have a seat and let me pray over us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that is true. God, that you deserve all the glory and all the praise because you are trustworthy. Your words are trustworthy and true. Your character is trustworthy. And we can trust all of our thing, problems, our issues, our worries to you, God, no matter how big, no matter how small. And I know in a room like this, as we gather today and those that are gathering online, that there are things that are concerning us. There are things where we need you to move. And we just ask that you do that, whether it's the physical healing that needs to be taken place, whether there are worries that are consuming our mind, whether it's anxiety and depression, God, that you would move in those areas where relationships need to be restored, where finances need to be provided for, God, we just say right now, we trust you. We ask that you move. We thank you that you love us, you care for us, that we don't have to earn that in any way, shape, or form. And we praise your name today. God, and we bless the other churches in our community. We pray for St. Mary's Church right down the road, and we ask that you bless them, you guide them, and you lead them in the mission that you have for them. And we pray for our, our missionaries around the world, and we think of Ben and Diane of Urink and ask that you bless them and you lead them, God, as uh, just Ben continues his schooling, and Diane is a, is a mother to their kids and homeschooling them, and God, that you would just uniquely provide for them as they, they do the work that you are calling to. In all these things, God, we say we love you, we trust you, and we ask that you move in mighty and powerful ways. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, go ahead and you can be seated. Just want to welcome you to church this morning. So glad that you are here joining us, whether you're here in person or that you are joining us online. We are glad that you decided to make uh, church and seeking God a part of your morning today. I'm so glad that you are here. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we would love to connect with you. If you're new or this is your church home, that connection card in front of you is a way to share information to get connected. So if you're new, we'd love for you to fill that out and take it back to the connection point in the back of the room or hand that to me or one of our staff after the service. If this is your church home, this is a way that we can communicate with each other. We'd love for you to fill that out and help you take steps in your faith as well. I also want to remind you that next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. We don't mean just the football game, but it's Super Bowl here because we're going to have soup and chili after both services. A whole bunch of you have signed up to bring soup and chili. It's going to be a fun atmosphere as we still come together and we still seek after God and praise Him, but we're going to have some fun as well. This is a great week weekend to invite a guest. Pete's going to have an inspiring message. We're going to have some great food and just a great way to connect with each other. So, you know, wear your favorite team's jersey, whether it's football or another sport. Just come prepared to have some fun and connect with each other that Sunday as well. This is also the time in the service where 
we just continue worshiping God through our offerings, that we just give back to him a portion of what he has blessed us with. You know, we thank you that you are generous and we really want people to give out of an act of worship so we can continue to be a generous church in our community and really around the world. There's ways to give on the screen behind me. There are offering boxes by all the doors on your way out. And we just want to say thank you for being such a generous church. Now, if you'll turn your attention to the screen for more information about what is coming up. So I want to invite you to our Celebrate Marriage Night that's happening on Saturday night, February 17th. We'd love for you and your spouse to come and be a part of this annual event. It's one of the best things that we do here at All Shores from an event standpoint. We're going to have a lot of fun that night. Dave and Dina Horn will join us. They'll be our speakers. And then Matt Hanegraaff and Tony Baker will bring our entertainment and a great meal. It's just going to be a fun night. You can register at allshores.org backslash events. The cost per couple is $30. And again, we invite you to come and be a part of it. Hi, I'm Susie. I attend All Shores in Muskegon. EJ said that he needed seven people to step up and offer to be group leaders. And my spirit was prompted. I went up to EJ after the service was over and said, I'll do it. There were some things that made me a little bit nervous, but I was determined not to give in to that fear and to keep going forward in spite of it. I would define my role as a group leader by the willingness to open the front door, to accept that there may be times that my house isn't perfect, but that nobody cares. It's also my role to gently and very lovingly facilitate the very fast 90 minutes that we have together and to give some kind of a guidance to how those minutes are going to go. What has been rewarding for me in investing in the lives of others, I've made friends, people who have come and gone from my group, to watch them build relationships with each other. Uh, some of my visitors have started attending All Shores and I've seen relationships grow between them and other people that don't have to have anything to do with me. I have watched them grow in their faith. Just today, one of my original visitors invited a family. That was very exciting to me. If you're considering stepping out to lead a group, but you feel nervous, you don't feel that you could do it, you're worried about there being problems, my encouragement to you is to do it. If you can open your front door, if you can smile, if you can welcome people into your home, you can facilitate a group. You will find if you step out in that courage that you'll be blessed for your courage, you will bless others, and you won't look back. I encourage you to do it. Psalm 119. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. You are my portion, O Lord. 
I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. I want to welcome those joining us online, all of you here in our Spring Lake campus as well. This is our final day, really, of what we've called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. If you haven't been with us, we have been focused on discovering together what it means to hear God's voice and hear Him in the Scriptures. That's been our emphasis, our discovery over these 21 days. And for all of you who are participating already, I just want to say thank you. Uh, We've had such great feedback. Our staff put together a daily uh, opportunity to engage in Scripture and engage kind of in your own quiet with the Lord that we did through Right Now Media. And there were, I think, almost 270 people did that. And it was the feedback we're getting is how much that's meant and how fun it's been to watch our whole team be a part of cultivating that with you. And so today we're in the final day of that. If you haven't been with us, that's okay too. It's not a bad thing. It just you're entering in into this final part of the series. And so I wanted you to be aware of that. I want to invite you now in the quiet to pray that we believe it's not about information, persuasion, even communication. It's about ultimately revelation, that God reveals himself to us when we open scripture. And so we always invite you to pray, to ask him to speak to you, to make himself known to you, to lead you. You pray in the quiet, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I thank you that each person you have made to be in relationship with you, that you've made us to know you. And so I'm simply asking that you'd speak today, that we'd hear you, that anything that hinders that uh, would be set aside, whether it's of our own doing, whether it's of things around us, misunderstandings, hurt, confusion, or even just apathy, would you speak? And Lord, anything I say that's not of you, let it fall to the ground, let it be forgotten. But I pray along with my friends and family here that you would reveal yourself. I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and our actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said, amen, Amen, meaning it is true. You're agreeing. So I want to start with a question today, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hands when you when this is you, we're gonna, I'm just asking the question, kind of, if you read Scripture, what format do you like to read it in? And what I mean by that is some of you will say, I read it in printed form. I have the book. I turn the book. It is the border. I turn it. That's what it's made. Now, you may even have a strong opinion like that's the true Scripture. Others of you may use an app where you have a digital way that you read it. You read it through some digital expression. And some of you may do it through an auditory one, meaning it could be on an app or some other way, but you listen rather than read. <clears throat> so I'm... I'm just curious of your preference. So if you are one that your preference is to read an actual printed Bible, printed book, I want you to raise your hands. <clears throat> okay. Pretty good. Send you. If you like to read it using an app, uh, a digital thing, raise your hands. Pretty, pretty good there. That's kind of second on it. And if you like to hear it rather than read it, go ahead and raise your hands there. So there you are, the chosen listeners of the minority, aren't you? This was true in both services here and in Muskegon. The largest group of people wanted the printed Bible. The second were the digital, and the third were the auditory. I was remembering some years ago when we started to move to some digital formats, and I'd 
had people, as they started using an iPad, people were like, I, I, are, you're not teaching the scripture. And they were convinced that it wasn't in my iPad because it wasn't a book that I opened and turned like it was the wrong way. Like, this is the way God intended it. It's a book. And in case you don't know, if we go all the way back to the earliest kind of scripts and scribes, they're actually scrolls. They're not even a book. So if you want to be truly authentic, you better get a scroll. I have one. Do any of you have a scroll? This is what you need to go back to. And in case you're not aware, actually the primary means with which people engage in scripture was hearing because it was often read and even recited and learned this way in an auditory manner. Scripture even teaches us that faith comes through hearing. So sometimes we miss these different things. And I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you of a particular format. I was just curious by it. I wonder what people use and how they use it and how they engage in it. It is funny if you don't use a book anymore. Some people do what we call the lucky dip where they pray and they just flip it and hope it goes somewhere. Now, if you have a digital thing, you're like, I have no idea how you even do that. There's no wheel or anything. You're like, I have to push something. It's not going to work. But I just thought that was a funny thing that doesn't matter. <clears throat> so what I want to do today, kind of as we close up the series, and we've been in one particular psalm, which is called the Torah psalm, which is literally a psalm about the importance of scripture, the centrality of it. But I want to ask a question for you to consider as we get started. And, and it's just, it's the simple thing of why do we read scripture? Like, what do we hope happens as a result of reading scripture? And I want to pose a few things that I think we commonly say it, we read it for, that it's kind of our, our results mindset of how we do. So some of us, we might read it because we hope it will help us succeed and be happy. In other words, we hope that following God's plan or what he has will lead us to a way that life is better, it's good, it's happy. In other words, boy, if I read this and I do what I'm supposed to, it's going to make my life better. Some of us even call it being blessed, like God will bless me, life will go well. And, and that's, <clears throat> that is viewing scripture as a means to an end. If I do this, then something good will be the result. We have other ways we think of it, but it's often the same outcome. Sometimes we hope to know how to act. Well, if I read it and I learn the principles of Scripture and I follow what I'm supposed to do in Scripture, if I follow the guidebook and the rule book, that's going to lead to a better life because I'm acting and living the way I am supposed to. We see it more like a principles or guidebooks or just kind of practice. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then some of us look at it as, you know what, I hope I please God, that it's a means to an end in this way. If I read it enough, if I pay attention, maybe God will be happy with me. As if God's sitting up there in this cosmic kind of tallying sheet. Okay, you read it twice this week. Uh, not real happy. Four times, that's pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Oh, wow. I'm, and, and we're basically as good as our last week. All of those, and it doesn't matter what the outcome, we tend often in our climate and culture to read Scripture as a means to an end. In other words, we read it so that there's a result. You know, we do this with a lot of things. We read books in general to learn content, to understand. But I want to post something different for you, and I believe it's central to how we want to understand it, and it's this. What if reading is not meant to be a means to an end? But what if it's meant to be something more, even if you want to say something different? So let me take you back to the life of Israel. And scrolls like this were commonplace once we get to synagogue living especially, but by the time Jesus walked the earth, this was common. So what would happen was, and I wish I could get us in the round, but I can't. The synagogue was set up in a way that's kind of a round, and the central place was towards the front, but still everybody gathered around it. So what would happen is the scripture would be brought in, 
And as it was brought in, people would actually get up and cheer, and then it would be brought to the center. So I'm bringing it in, and you get up and cheer with me. Go ahead. Well, you are really West Michigan people. Oh, I don't really have to get up. No, no, I'm not done. Like, how sad and pathetic. Get up and cheer. Uh, get up meant I, I actually sit, but I, my butt moved a little forward. Does that count? doesn't count. We're going to try this again. That was just sad. I'm kind of embarrassed. And yet, you know what? As much as I'm embarrassed, I'd have sat too, but I'm still going to chide you for it. So here we come in, the coming of the scripture. Yeah. I love it. You know what? Well done. A plus. If you brought your star stickers today, bring it and I'll put one on each of them. (laughs) The image was meant to be that God is coming into the room and he's speaking to us. That's why they cheered. Now, no doubt that could have become forced and not even believed at times, but the image of it is what we want to pay attention to. The idea that the reading of Scripture was to be in the center of the community, not even just on our own, that when we read on our own, it's to be part of the community, not just it's me, it's us. And so there's this picture we have that's so important that the idea of Scripture to the Jewish mind was God is in our midst, and from the center of our community, he is speaking to us of who he is. Now, let me take that to the New Testament, when Jesus walks the earth, and very simply how John describes Jesus coming. He describes Jesus as the word. No irony, it's exactly this idea of the written word. He's the word, and he was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, we'll come back to that. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full, full of grace and truth. Now, when they see he dwelled among us, The idea of a dwelling was also a Jewish concept. It was the idea that the temple or the tabernacle in the wilderness was built in the center of where they were to be. That's where God's presence was. And they put all their tents all the way around it. So in other words, God's dwelling was to be in the center of them. Now they're saying, guess what? The written word is now the living word, which is always what's pointing to. So Jesus is meant to be in the center of us. And that's who we want to know. It's him. It's him. It's him. In other words, when we read scripture, we don't read scripture as a means to an end, as if to say the best thing is what we get from it and how our life goes. The best thing in reading scripture is actually discovering him. Our intention of reading, everything we've been promoting over these 21 days, everything the Torah Psalm points to is that we discover him. It is not simply a means to an end, a set of rules we follow, even guiding principles, though all those are part of an kind of an outcome. They're not the intention or the center of it. The center of it is knowing him. And so this is what we would say that we hope you gather even as we go through this passage today. And I'm going to ask you to look at this psalm with this in mind. We believe that our aim is to listen to him and to follow him. To listen to him and to follow him. And I do not want you to miss the idea that he's in the center. Because most of us, and I'm included in this, we can read the scripture to say, I'm in the center, God meet me here. I'm in the center, what are you going to do in my life? I'm in the center, let's build it around me. Now, we would all say, if I told you it's not you, let's pretend that it's the person next to you. You'd look at them, go ahead and look at them. You'd go, yeah, I don't think you're the center of it all. 
But then when it's you, you should be saying the same thing, shouldn't you? Like, I want us to understand, we read Scripture so that Jesus is in the center, and we learn to know him, and from knowing him, we listen, we learn how to listen, and we follow. Now, I want you to understand it, because I think as we read through this last section of the psalm, you'll be tempted to make it a principle, because that's what we tend to do in the way we think. We hear something, go, okay, here's the principle, this is why I do it, but we always make it a means to an end. And I want you to listen to it instead going, the means and the end and the best thing God gives us is him. It's knowing him. It's hearing his voice. It's not just principles or ways we live for us. So having said that, we are in Psalm 119. We're in the last section. <clears throat> if you haven't been with us, there are 22 sections and every section has eight verses. So it's, it is literally the longest psalm. Anybody who tells you, a lot of people go, I read five psalms a day and they get to 119, like, oh no. <laughs> Can I have five days just to do this one? It's a long psalm. And they take every letter of the, of the Hebraic alphabet and they use that letter for each stanza. So every verse from that letter, every line has that letter beginning. Now that means nothing to us in English, but I'm just telling you that because it's there and because it's kind of interesting. Okay, I'll leave that alone. Here's what I want to tell you with the last section, because there are eight verses that break into two halves, and I just want you to know this as we listen to kind of keep it in mind, and I put each half on one slide over time. So the first half is all about the psalmist saying, here's my part, here's what I'm doing in the pursuit of you, and the second half is, is looking at how God interacts and what God does. That's a simple way to think of it, my part, his part, as he's looking and engaging in Scripture. And make no mistake, this whole psalm is about how we fix ourselves and our people of the word. Make no mistake, this idea of the scriptures being centered to the room and read from the center of the room is a visual picture of how the church is to live. We are people of the word. And that written word always is pointing to the living word. In other words, we don't read it for just practices. We read it to know him. And the way we know him is we hear his voice and we follow him. We want to know him, we hear his voice, and we follow him. All right. Having said that, we'll start in verse 169 of this. This is what the psalmist writes. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. <clears throat> now you can hear this is the psalmist's first sense of this. And what I want to tell you, these are four things he's going to talk about that he does, but they're, they're not meant to be exhaustive. They're exemplary. There can be more. So when he says, may my cry come before you, this is literally where we get the word um, Lament. And it's the idea that part of our praise of God, in fact, when you look at the Psalms, they're a praise book, two-thirds of them are what's called laments or cries. And what the psalmist is saying is, there's places in my life that are confusing and painful. There's places where I don't see your character, where I don't even know if you're with me, where I don't know if you're with them, and I don't know what's happening. And so in those places, I cry out. I'm crying out to you because that's part of how I relate to you and how I hear from you in my despair, if you want to say. Now, he finishes it by saying, give me understanding according to your word. And oftentimes we treat this like a principle, like I'm just going to read your word. It's going to tell me what you do. And then I'm going to claim that. And that will help my lament be solved. Kind of it'll fix it. And what I, I just want to say is it's much more complex than that. That what he's really pointing to here is by let me live and understand according to your word is if I know your word, I understand your character. 
Do you know what? When people are in deep despair and oppressed and broken and dying and ill and impoverished, do you know what God's heart is? His heart is caring deeply. His heart is aching. His heart is, heart is to deliver. Now, the hard part in that is it's not a prescription. In other words, sometimes it doesn't come out in our individual story that way. But lament is saying, I'm going to come before you in the things that I'm broken and confused and struggling with. And the more I get to know you, my best life and answer is knowing you. It isn't that the circumstance went a certain way because you're a means to an end. It's actually knowing you and knowing who you are in it. That is the center of life. Now, I know that's complicated. It doesn't mean it's all fixed. It's just saying there's more to it than getting the answer. And somehow that wrestle in there, when you see who God is and their struggle, you know he cares. You just can't always know why it doesn't get fixed in one circumstance and ours personally. But remember, life isn't just us, is it? That's just the first piece I wanted you to see is we tend to think of it as a prescription. Listen, I'm going to have a cry. I'm going to understand things according to your word, and it's all going to work out perfectly. That's not the outcome. The outcome is knowing him. I have seen people go through horrible confusion and pain and be so much closer and so much content in the Lord than many of us who have things go well and easy. But we somehow confuse and think that's God's doing in our lives because God is a transaction for us. And let me say it again, the best thing God gives us is him. So when I'm confused and struggling, what do you think I need most? It's him. It's the God of the universe. As much as I want it to be an answer and I cry out for it, that's who I want. And that's what the psalmist is giving us a picture of. Let me take you to the second one. He says, may my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. Now, there's lots of promises God makes, but one of the central ones, very simply, (laughs) in the Psalms in particular, is that God promises his unfailing love. There's a psalm, for example, that says, though your father and mother forsake you, I will never leave you. There's psalms that say God's unfailing love watches over us, and it's higher than the mountains. And high. I mean, it's this beauty that God is with you and for you and loves you. Supplication just means the things we ask God to help us in and give intercession for. They can be things in your own life. They can be things around you. They're the places we go, God, I need you. Not God, I'm doing it on my own, but give me a little power help right now. And in case you don't know, it also lets us know the heart of God because Jesus, after he rises and ascends to be with the Father, he now sits at the right hand of Father and what he does is he intercedes for us, it says, day and night. In other words, Jesus is standing with the Father, talking to the Father about us and doing the very same thing the psalmist is discovering, interceding. So you get to discover who Jesus is when you supplicate, when you intercede and you're discovering how he is loving and faithful, and his promise is actually for what we call salvation, to give hope where there's hopelessness and new life where there's death. Now, what do you think? Is knowing the God and the center of that more important or getting your life to move ahead? And again, I will say, it's a different centering in all of its complexity to discover him, not to get something from him to then move on in our own lives. And in case you don't know, I'll just tell you this. Everything you think will bring you peace in life that's not him never lasts and will not fully satisfy. You see, if what we believe is true, which that God made us to be his, the best way we live is knowing him. The best thing God gave us is him, not what he does for us. And that's what the psalmist is pointing to here. Let me give you the the next one. 
He says, may my lips overflow with praise for you teach me your decrees. <laughs> I love this. I love this particular one. It's the idea that we're not obligated to pray and worship. I, I think back to one of my professors who taught about worship and he said, worship was like broccoli. You have to acquire a taste for it. I was like, that just sounds horrible. And he was wrong. I mean, the, the reality is worship is the most fulfilling piece of life because it's the creation responding to the creator. Like this is another Psalm. It says, your love is better than life. It says, because of that, my lips will just glorify you. And what, he, what the psalmist means is the more I discover of who you are, which is how you discover through his decrees who he is, the more I want to praise you. It is a natural response the more you know him. It is not a forced response. It's a forced response when God is a transaction. I need him to do this for me so I have a good life, so I can praise him, but it's really, I needed a good life. That's what I wanted. And what this is saying is the best thing in life is him, not a comfortable, pain-free convenient or easy or kind of winning life, which is what we tend to do, don't we? We, took, we put these expectations that God is a genie that provides for us and what we want, we're at the center. And what the psalmist say, no, no, God's at the center. Jesus is at the center. And guess what? The more you discover him, the more your lips will want to overflow with praise for him. It will be less and less of an obligation and more and more of a joy. Because if it's true that he's better than life, that he's the best thing, do you think you're going to want to praise him more the more you know him? Just so you know, the answer is yes. And, and I'm convinced of that. I don't mean it as a, a slight to you. I'm just going, I am convinced. I know passion in me for him grows the more I know him because I want to. And in case you don't know, it's one of the things I love is that all of creation is made for this. That's what we're made to do. That's how we're made to live. So let me give you uh, just a, the last one here of the ones he has. He says, may my tongue sing of your word for your commands are righteous. And now he's attaching something to it that the, the, you know, the Jewish mind had in Satan, even the early church did. It's the idea that singing itself is what constitutes how we really engage more deeply. They would, the, the Jews would say, when you can't pray, sing. Because they knew when you sang, your heart connects more deeply. Augustine used to say, one of the early church fathers, when you sing, you pray twice. In other words, something more happens and so here's how you can consider it. For those of you who say, well, I don't sing and I don't listen to music. And I, most of us have a song inside of us. And most of us have songs we connect to because we relate to them. They kind of come out of us. So when I was growing up, I lived a pretty lonely life in some ways. My parents were both only children. We lived in kind of an isolated way in how we related. So I felt pretty alone. The song I always had coming out of me was called Lonely Boy. And it's kind of sad and funny at the same time because you're hearing it. Dun, 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 and the rest of you are going, I have never heard that. That's way before me. That's just weird. And I don't care. It's my song. I liked it. But it's all about what a lonely boy. I mean, I, somehow when I, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, this is how I feel. This connects to me. So here's what I want to understand. The more you know who Jesus is, songs come out of you. Like, it's crazy. I, I, I love asking people, tell me, if you've been a Christian a while, tell me some songs that have been meaningful to you. And almost always, it will be a song during a time when they learned something new or discovered something about God, and that song became representative of the revelation of who he was to them. And it's beautiful. We have a legacy of songs. Now, the hardship is when we go, I love that song 20 years ago. Why don't we do that one anymore? Why don't we do this? We kind of want the past to hang on to. And guess what? God keeps giving us new songs. So you can go back and celebrate them, but if you're like, I used to like it when, you go, no, guess what? God didn't stop giving them. This stuff wells up out of us, out of true relationship. 
And that's what we're looking for. That's what he's saying here happens. May that be true. May my mouth sing this way. Now he moves to God's side. He says, may your hand be ready to help me, for I've chosen your precepts. And this is what I mean about the danger of the way we can see this transactionally. Like we can see it this way, like as long as I choose your precepts, then I can ask you for help. As if it's a result. I choose your precepts, I get your help. Like God's sitting back going, well, choose my precepts. You choose enough, you get my help. But what it really means, I believe, is that God is our help. And the more we read of, his, of him in the word, the more we understand that. And the more by revelation we actually believe it. And that's what creates a thing to go, I know you're my help. Because the more I read of who you are and the more I read of and know who you are, the more I discover it, the more that reality becomes true to me. And I will tell you this, I think this is a very hard one for us. And maybe all of these are on this side because we are self-made people, aren't we? I mean, we live in a world that we applaud those who accomplish more and we kind of look down on those who accomplish less. As if to say the life of a Christian is meritocracy. That's how we live. And yet the life of a Christian is realizing we can't do it alone. And any of our abilities to do things is not enough. It's an unending way of never getting where we want to. So actually needing God for our help, man, I find that liberating. It's not because I don't want to work hard. It's because I just know the fact that I need his help to even do that. And that's the psalmist is going, you be our help. We know this is who you are. This is who you are. Be our help. He says this, be our salvation. I long for your salvation, Lord. And your law gives me delight. You see, the scriptures speak regularly about God's salvation. Over and over and over again. From the beginning story, when Adam and Eve sin, and God literally sacrifices an animal so they're clothed, that's help. From there, the promise is given that one day Messiah will come, that's salvation. And again and again, Israel gets into trouble. And they see God move. The image of salvation, just so you have a picture of it, is literally like... I don't know how many of you would even remember these in Western movies, but say you got caught in this corner of a cliff and you have no way out. You're just stuck. And there's no way out. And suddenly where there's no way out, there's an opening that happens. That's salvation. That's literally the picture of being confined and no way out and a way is made. And I go, that's, that's a belief that we have about God. Now, I'll qualify it this way. It's not the belief that we determine how he saves us because we like that one. God, I'm in a huge financial mess. I need your salvation. So let me win the lotto, cancel my debt, take away the way I spend money and just make it better. What God does is he goes, okay, you surrender and say you don't know how to get out. And it's, it may not be a opening like we think, but it may open us to a new way of brokenness that leads us out in a way we're dependent and we never expected. So make no mistake, it's not your way of salvation. It's his way. And the more you read, the more you understand that's who he is. Let me take you to the third one. <clears throat> he says, let me live that I may praise you and may your laws sustain me. One of the beautiful things is that this is said over and over, particularly in the Psalms, but in scripture is that whoever's going through something, they go, God, I know you made me to praise you. Like that's the intent of God's creation is that it responds to who he is. It worships him. In fact, we would say, if you just sat outside one time and felt the trees blowing in the wind and watched the magnet majesty of it, those are trees praising God. When you hear the roar of the waves as they come up, that's how God made the creation of water to praise him. Every wave is a statement of praise. When you see a mountain, you go, man, see the majesty of that? That is a pointing to the man who made it, God himself. 
when you and we all get to do this where we live, we go out and watch a sunset when it's not cloudy, which it is most of the time, which I've been angry about lots lately and need help. Forgive me. But we go to see that and you go, it's majestic, isn't it? I still remember we were, Jane and I were in Santorini during my sabbatical and they were showing this great, this sunset, like, I bet you've never seen anything like it. And I go, we see this every day. I mean, it's great, but I'm sorry, we live in the same kind of place. It's just colder and it snows for half a year. You know, all of that is the creation responding. So when the psalmist says this, let me live that I may praise you, it's one of the great things the psalmist will say is, God, if you take me down and people don't see how you're good, I can't praise you. And the way you're best glorified is when I get to. And we're not just talking about singing or the moment of it. We're talking about our lives that praise him. When we live in a place where we know who he is and we hear his voice and we are following him, the increase of praise happens because we can't believe how he's meeting us and moving. That's beautiful, isn't it? And let me take you to the final verse because I think this, in a sense, gives an exclamation and a centering on the entire psalm. He says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. And then he asked God, seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Now, he's not saying seek me because I measure up. He's saying seek me because I know what you say. And you know what God said all through the life of Israel? He said, man, your shepherds are going to let you down and you are all like sheep. You all go astray. That's what Isaiah tells us. Every one of us moves in our own direction and moves in a place that's destructive and problematic. Here's the great thing about it. I am telling you, you are a big, hot mess. But so am I, and so is everybody else. And what we tend to do in our world is we minimize how messed we are. You know, I'm not really strained. I'm doing okay. But the psalmist is saying, listen, we're a mess. And we wander off in our own way, little by little, and destroy our own lives. And what does he ask for? Would you come after me? God, would you run after me? Would you find me when I stray? He doesn't say, help me give me back. He says, I'm just so glad that you would seek me, that you would go after me. That's what your commands teach me. And by the way, this is how Jesus describes himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You want to know how he goes after us? He runs after us through his own life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And I love that, that Jesus as the good shepherd lays down his life because in our wandering, in our destruction, in our going stray and being lost, the way he finds us is through his own sacrifice and he runs after us that way. You want to know who he is? At the center of our life, Jesus says this, my sheep hear me and they know my voice. And when we know his voice, we follow him. What we discover is he's the best there is. He's not a means to an end. And the more we know of him, the more we want to hear his voice. And the more we hear his voice, the more we want to follow him. And that's the simple beauty of why we engage in Scripture. It is true. We find all sorts of practical helps in there. And that's part of knowing who he is. But if we look at the helps as a means to an end, and we don't realize it, the helps help us to discover him. And who he is is who we're looking for, not what he gives to us. I mean, I I deal with this most of my life where I'm sitting there thinking, I am more interested in God giving me some help so I can move in a direction I want to than the fact that God actually spoke to me and gave me help. Like, you know that's just weird, isn't it? I would rather have God's help than have the God of the universe know him. The best thing God gives us is himself. And one of our deep things with all of this, if we were to go, boy, what we hope for is that true life, we want you to know, is found in hearing his voice and following him. 
Everything we've been pushing in these 21 days of exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus, of exploring what it means to actually hear him in our lives and be led by him, we say scripture is center for that because that's how he made it. Starting with Israel and the way he gave us those Old Testament scriptures and the way he gives us the new ones, he put that in the center of the room and said, when you hear this, you hear me. And then Jesus came to say this written word is fully revealed in me, in the living word. I'm in the center of the room. And the way you get to know me is you read the scriptures and discover who I am. And the spirit leads you to learn how to hear my voice. And when you hear my voice, you learn how to depend on me. And when you depend on me, you follow me and I will lead you to life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, I am gonna give you life so you'll have your own life. He says, it's me. I'm not just the way, I'm actually the truth. And guess what, I'm the life. I'm the result, I'm the source, and I'm the guide. Isn't that crazy? And we go, you wanna know why we do this? We do this because we actually believe that's true. And so we're going, we're not, we're not offering scripture for the rare and the periodic. We're saying we think this is central to the life of the Christian and it's meant to be for the life of the church together. Let me just have you consider this, and I want you to hear a few stories from the 21 days that people have sent to us. Every one of us have variations of hard situations, of overwhelming struggles, of things going on in our workplace, in our health, in our relationships, in our school life, in our practices and hobbies, in our money, in our finances with sadness and anxiety, with striving and another hill to conquer and another victory to have and another echelon to reach. And we go, we believe that hearing who God is changes all of that. Let me just read you. These are seven short responses people gave in the last few weeks. One person wrote about how their marriage and their life with their children is hard right now. And they said, I am learning to trust in his help and discover his plan. I am learning to hear his voice and rely on him and follow him. That's what they're saying. Another said, I'm living with a lot of worry and anxiety and fear. My circumstances are hard. I've had a very hard diagnosis and an uncertain future. And they said, all I know to do right now is to go to Jesus for everything. I am discovering he wants to help us and I'm learning to lay my circumstances at his feet. That is learning to hear his voice and to follow him, and to find he's the source with such uncertainty and struggle. Another said this, quote, being able to connect with God's word has been so powerful and has brought me so much peace and joy in my own life lately. Reading this verse, the one from the day, just reminds me how sweet God's word is. I enjoy having God here with me through all these difficult times. I feel this is the first time in a while that I have fully felt his love and faithfulness. That's powerful. And I know that's because I've been spending time deeply in his word and connecting with him. Another said, the joy I feel in connecting with you each day, Lord, in hearing from others, meaning not just me, but it's something that we're collectively doing, that I know love and respect, sharing and revealing to us how God's work can still speak and be applied in our lives today. Another said, God leads the way and we are to follow. As I'm doing my best to draw near to God each day and love in his purpose. I am finding myself searching, praying about next steps. I'm praying that God shines a light in the areas he wants me to focus on. I am asking to hear from him and follow him. This one says, I need God to be present with me when I'm not even present. 
when I'm too caught up in my emotions and the swirl of life to take ownership of this reality. I need lots of grace and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to help me stop in my tracks when I'm moving full speed ahead with negativity. God, help me to lift my eyes up to you instead of being overwhelmed by my situation. Lord, help me to see you and not just my circumstances. And this final one, they said, this is a pep talk for the day ahead of me. I love this. I am going by to, the, to be calling out to him through the day. It's a new thing from reading. I want to see his power and I want to show his love to people. I haven't done much to work on this relationship with him for years. It's the best activity I have right now. Just so you know, this is not the pastor giving you the party line. These are real people that are discovering that he's there, that he loves them to listen to his voice and to follow him. And the invitation is not to end at 21 days and go, nice season. But it's to go, God, whatever you're doing, would you keep, do more. Help me grow in this and discover it more. If you haven't done it, maybe it's an invitation to discover. But let me just give you a few ways that you can walk out of this season and continue to give life to it. And I want to say this. We often find in these seasons, we can't look at the end and go, this is what God did. But six months from now, we see the results of it. That God's doing something to change us and we simply want to keep informing it. So here's my first invitation. I want you to become a sheep. And, and I love this, especially in this day and age, because I can't tell you how many people tell me, oh, you're just sheeple. Like they act like being a sheep is this idiot who does whatever someone tells them. And I go, guess what? I am a sheeple. I'm a proud sheeple because you know what? I need him. And in case you don't know, he actually called us to be sheep. I always love when people say, don't be sheep. But the Bible says we are sheep. All sheep means is we need him and we follow him. And we need him, don't we? I, if you haven't learned to follow him, we're gonna, I'll give you that chance. But I also want to tell you, those of you who do, let's learn to really discover him and follow. The next is very simply this, to make listening to his voice your aim. We are trying to learn how to hear him and how to follow him. And so we give you a couple things out of the series. One is that we have a, an app that we've used called First 15. It's at first15.org is the site, but they have an app too. And it's very similarly set up to what we did over the Right Now Media time. So we go, if you're wanting to kind of continue on that vein, this is a really simple pathway to do it that we'd encourage you in this next season. Also, we're about to launch groups. And I cannot stress enough for you how the scriptures read in the middle of a group, not just alone. And when we miss that we're part of a community, that that's who God made us to be, we miss that we have to look through the lens of the community, not just us. And so we miss out on a huge part of who God's made us to be because he made us to be his people, not each one alone, his person. And then we just want to remind you, we have a four-week course or class that we call The Journey. That's a great next step for you. So I don't want to miss. These are some ways to step out. I want to give us a moment here just as I pray for us and uh, invite you to see how the Spirit's been whispering and leading through this series and even how he wants to reveal Jesus to you today. Let's pray. So Lord, I ask that you would speak now, that you would lead individually and together. I pray for any here who have not yet followed you, who've gone, man, I have gone astray on my own and I don't know what that means. And so if you're in that world, let me give you a simple thing you can do. Just say to the Lord, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm a sheep that's gone astray. I've got my own sins and my own messes and I can't do it on my own. And then just ask him to rescue you. Ask him to free you, forgive you, and give you his spirit that you'd live new and different. And then invite him to really lead you in hearing his voice. And then for others of us who follow, 
why don't you say, Lord, I want to hear you. I want to follow you. And I want you to be my, my goal and my aim, not an outcome in my life. And then, Lord, I'm praying you'll continue to lead us. You'll continue to guide us. You'll continue to move among us. Whatever you've started, God, continue it in us. And where there are barriers, break through them. And Lord, come to us. Help us. Save us. Free us. Pray this in your name. Amen. We always give a little space to worship and to celebrate communion. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to worship. And it's so beautiful. We get to kind of sing of the greatness of him. And ask God to make this real to you, that you'd know him through the very words you sing. And we'll celebrate communion as part of this. darkness to light he reaches out to each of us from darkness to light and death lost to light heaven and earth will join and say Jesus has seated for just a few minutes. We're going to celebrate communion together, what we call 
the Eucharist. It's the beautiful picture. It's a sacrament, we believe, that God does something as we remember what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection. We don't have a stipulation that you have to be a member here. You're invited if you want to commune, to connect to Jesus. If you're not ready for that, we don't want you to feel obligated. You'll see as you got the cup when you came in, the bread is in the top and the the cup is beneath it. That what we do is we, in a sense, relive, rediscover what Jesus has done, that it is centered on who he is and what he's done to reveal himself. That on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, and it is given for you. It is my expression. The shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. Let's take. In the same way, he took the cup, the cup that had been connected to the Passover meal, the cup that was to wash away the bitterness of their slavery, and they were to remember how they were freed from Egypt. It's the cup that frees us from the slavery of sin when we walk through the waters to new life. That's awesome, isn't it? We receive that as we take of the cup. Lord, we thank you that this is is just mystically and wonderfully your body and your blood poured out for us. So I pray the revelation of who you are would get deeper into us even through this sacrament. And Lord, as we worship out of it, would you help your spirit awaken in us the worship of you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship. With every breath that's in my lungs, my heart cries out to you belongs the glory through every loss or victory my soul will rise to only bring you glory with every breath that's in my love my heart
It's been a sweet season in these 21 days. I hope you have sensed it too and felt it. We're praying that you will, even if you haven't. But we believe God's doing something. And we always pray when he is, would you just keep going, Lord? Whatever you want to do, more of it. And so the invitation for you to pursue him, to make him your actual end and aim, not a means to an end, is the invitation in going into scripture. I want to know him. I want to hear from him. I want to be led by him. And a church full of that, that's the community, the new kind of family he's making. Of course, I want to invite you back as we have a great time next weekend. And even if you don't want to hear me talk, you get to have chili and soup. So, you know, whatever that means, it's all good. Let me place your hands out. I want to give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ fill you with the Spirit. Oh, may he open your ears to hear his voice. May the Spirit awaken you to who Jesus is, that you would love him as the Father does. And may you live in such a way that you not only follow him, but help others discover him for his glory, for your joy, and for the transformation and kingdom he brought to the world around us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.